It's good to see y'all tonight. Um, We're going to uh, look at the first part of Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's prayer of repentance. So uh, an important important passage related to the important doctrine of prayer, the practice of prayer. And so that'll kind of be our topic tonight. And so before we get to the text, are there prayer requests, prayer concerns? I already mentioned the... All right, so Daniel chapter 9, the uh, really two, Daniel chapter 9, two parts, uh, Daniel's prayer of confession, and then uh, a vision that he receives in response to that. And so uh, uh, we'll, we'll divide this chapter into two different, those two different parts. We'll look at Daniel's prayer of confession uh, to, tonight, and then we'll look at the vision that the Lord gave to him in response to that prayer uh, next week, Lord willing. So Daniel chapter 9, we'll look at the first 19 verses tonight. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ashurus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and and made great confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants and prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse And the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. 
Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your faith to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our our desolations and the city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and your people are called by your name. And so uh, as we've gone through Daniel, you know, we have seen that Daniel was a man of prayer. When his enemies were jealous of him and tried to bring him down, they couldn't find any reason to accuse him. They couldn't find any fault in the administration of his duties. Uh, And so they knew that the only way they would be able to find an accusation against Daniel was to find an accusation uh, related to the law of his God. And so what law did they pass to try to entrap Daniel? Yeah, that, that for 30 days, no one in the kingdom could pray to man or God other than King Darius. And King Darius uh, passed that law and signed it and sealed it with the, uh, uh, the, the, seal, the royal seal so that it could not be changed. And what was the sentence to one who would pray to any god or man other than King Darius? Be thrown in the lion's den. So under sentence of death. And so they, they knew that Daniel was a man of prayer. They were jealous of him. They wanted to get him out of the way to destroy him, and they knew that the only way they could find an accusation against him was to forbid prayer and make it punishable by death, and so that's exactly what they did. And Daniel knew of the law, and when he uh, knew of the law and knew the punishment of the law, knew that it was under punishment of death, he went to his, uh, you know, we, we read about it in, in chapter 6, he went to his house, he opened up his windows and he faced Jerusalem knelt down on his knees and three times uh, prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom from the early days and so we have already met Daniel and know that he is a man of prayer and in chapter 9 we get the content of one of his prayers that he prayed during the reign of King Darius and uh, he gives us exactly the time the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. And so, uh, uh, so we actually get the content of one of his prayers, and I think it is a very important lesson to us on biblical praying. And, uh, and that's really the first thing that we see about this prayer, is that it is based firmly on the Word of God. Daniel's prayer flows from his knowledge of God's Word and God's truth. You know, a lot of times our prayers might be more motivated by our, our need, our, our feelings. You know, sometimes we're just overwhelmed by the circumstances of our life and we just cry out in desperation and cry out in need and uh, pray what we want and what we desire. And, uh, 
But Daniel's prayer is based upon the Word of God um, and informed by God's Word. And I thought about the book that uh, gave out a, little, a few weeks ago on, you know, on, on praying the Bible. And then that's actually what Daniel does. And what I want us to do tonight, you know, usually we, we kind of sit in one passage and look at it, but we're going to do a little bit of Bible drill tonight because I want us to look at the passages that, uh, that inform Daniel's prayer uh, because I think that's a very important concept for us that we uh, don't just pray according to our feelings or our circumstances or out of our desperation and out of our need, but our prayer should be informed by God's word. And so uh, Daniel's prayer was based upon the word of God, and, and Daniel allowed the scripture and his knowledge of the scripture to shape his prayer. In the first passage, we see him even address in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And so Daniel knew that, the God, that God had said through the prophet Jeremiah that the exile would last 70 years. And uh, here he calls the exile the desolation of Jerusalem. Uh, and so not, not, not focusing on what had happened to the people being taken into captivity, being placed into exile, but what had happened to the city. The city had been rendered empty. The people had been taken away and the, the, the city was now desolate, abandoned. God's people not there. Uh, God's people not there making worship and making sacrifice. And the number would be, would be 70 years. And he calls Daniel a prophet. Meaning that, Dan, I mean, Jeremiah, he calls Dan, Jeremiah a prophet. The word of the Lord through Jeremiah, the prophet. And so he acknowledged that Jeremiah uh, was bringing authoritative, true words that he had received directly from the Lord. And so as a prophet, he was speaking forth God's word. And that informed his, his, uh, his prayer. And so flip over, if you would, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 25, and we'll see this passage that Daniel references in his prayer. Or as he's introducing the words of his prayer. Jeremiah chapter 25. Verses 10 and 11. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Uh, and so uh, probably about, about 66 years had passed since Jerusalem was left desolate, but Babylon had been destroyed. The Medes and the Persians have defeated the Babylonians, and now Darius, the Mede, is, the, is now the king. He is the emperor, and, uh, uh, and Daniel sees uh, reason to expect the end of the captivity because of the word of Jeremiah and the circumstances that Babylon had been defeated, Darius was king, Cyrus was, uh, was on the scene, and so Daniel perceives that the conditions for the ending of the exile are nearing their fulfillment. 
But Daniel also knows that the return from exile will be conditioned upon the confession of sin and the repentance of his people. And so, uh, and that's Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 26. Daniel knew that the return would not be automatic, even though he had spoken through the prophet and he had said it will be 70 years. There was also a, a, a prerequisite. There was a condition set upon the uh, return of the people from exile, and that's way back in Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26 God lists the curses that would come as a result of disobedience to the covenant. In Leviticus 26, verse 27, he said, After this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you in fury, and I will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, you shall eat the flesh of your daughters, I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses from the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you, your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy, enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. But then down in, uh, uh, in verse 40, God says, But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers... With, with, with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember them, and I will remember the land." And so uh, uh, there was a condition. They must acknowledge their sin. They must confess their iniquity. They must humble their hearts and accept their guilt. And so Daniel knows from the word of God that the exile was to be 70 years, that they were going to serve the Babylonians. The Babylonians have been defeated. It's getting near the end of 70 years. But he also knows that their return to Jerusalem is conditioned upon their confession, their acknowledgement of their sin, their acknowledgement of their iniquity, the humbling of their hearts. And that's really what we see in Daniel's prayer. And so uh, uh, he, he's praying for uh, the exile to end, but he knows that they must confess their sins first. And then also we see another uh, passage that informs his prayer. And that's in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 8. 
when Solomon is dedicating the temple. The temple has been built, and now they're having this service to dedicate the temple, to set it apart for the worship of God. And, and Solomon speaks prophetically in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they are carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who, who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong, we have committed wickedness, and when they return to you with all their heart and all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you, and grant them compassion before those who took them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel, to listen to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance, as you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought our fathers out of, the, out of Egypt, O Lord God. And so there he's again saying you're going to be, they're going to be taken captive, but when they come to their senses and they turn toward you and they turn toward Jerusalem, hear them and respond to them and bring them back to the land for your own sake and for your own name. So flip back over to Daniel chapter 9. And we see all these three things. 70 years, it's not automatic. They've got to repent and they are going to turn toward Jerusalem and pray toward this temple. And that's exactly what, uh, what Daniel does. Verse 3, I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And so he turns toward Jerusalem the, the place that the Lord had chosen for his presence, and we saw that also in chapter 6. And so we see clearly Daniel's prayer is informed by God's word. He is basing his prayer not on his feelings, not on his desires, not on what he wants, but on what God has said. And uh, what could be more glorifying to God for us to pray to him in accordance to what he has told us in his word? Uh, the Bible needs to be the basis for our praying. Uh, we need to, to know the Bible and pray the Bible and pray in accordance with the Bible. And Daniel model, models that for us. The timing of his prayer was based on Scripture. The content of his prayer was based on Scripture. And the posture of his prayer was based on Scripture. And he also takes the outward appearance of fasting uh, sackcloth, you know, of repentance, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, uh, but he prays in accordance with the scriptures. And uh, like I said, Dr. Whitney's book, Praying the Bible, speaks of this. It glorifies God when our prayers are based on his word 
Uh, and so that should be a, a goal that we have to base our praying upon what God has said. Daniel believed what the Bible said. He turned his face toward the Lord God, the place that the Lord had chosen for his name, and he was longing for his people to return from exile. And he knew the timing was close, but he also knew that they must confess and own their sins. And so his heart was filled with sorrow over their sin, and he pled for mercy, and he also showed those outward signs. And so the first thing we notice about Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9 is just based on the word of God. He, uh, he bases everything that he does on what God has said. And then the second thing we notice about Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9 is that it begins with praise. He begins his prayer with praise, adoration. So verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. And so two aspects of, God, of Daniel's praise of God. He praises God for who he is, for his attributes, for his characteristics. You are great and awesome. And so he gives God praise for who he is, for his person, his glory, his majesty, his might. And, uh, uh, and that's another important aspect of our prayers. A lot of times we get right to petition, to our request, to asking for stuff. Uh, but the biblical model is to begin our prayers with praise. Even Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And uh, uh, one thing, I was in a, a pastor's meeting one day uh, not too long ago, and uh, um, we've got the book Reading the Bible, but also praying about God's attributes. And a, a, a brother pastor said something that he had done to try to help him focus his prayer on praise and focus his prayer on adoration was he uh, decided that each day he would specifically praise God for an attribute of God's and he would do that by going through the alphabet. So on day one, for example, you might praise God because he is almighty, Psalm 91.1. Day two, God is Beautiful. Give God praise because he's beautiful. Psalm 27, 4. On day three, praise God because he is compassionate. James 5, 11. Uh, praise God on day four because he is dependable. Psalm 62, 7. He is eternal. Deuteronomy 33, 27 and so on. So uh, uh, I, I tried that for a period of 26 days and found it also to be, to be very helpful to search for an attribute of God uh, going through the alphabet, and specifically on that day, giving God praise for that particular attribute. And it worked real good until I got to Q. <laughs> and uh, when I got to Q, I had to be creative. Uh, I came up with questioning. Job 38, 1 through 3, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you. And you shall answer me. So, so, day, so day Q was questioning. And then I did really good again until I got to X. And uh, then I just came up with God is excellent. <laughs> I know that starts with an E. But uh, uh, 
Psalm 8.1, how excellent is your name in all the earth, and you set the glory above the heavens. And that was just something that somebody suggested to me, and it was helpful to me to help me focus my prayer on praise and adoration instead of just immediately getting to request. Um, and so that y'all, y'all might find that helpful as well. And so first, he praises God for who he is, great and awesome, two attributes that God has done. But then secondly, he also praised him for his works, for what he does. He is great and awesome, and he keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and those who keep his commandments. And so he is faithful, but his work, his, he keeps his covenant of mercy. And those are attributes of his as well, but also action. He keeps his covenant. He shows mercy. And so Daniel not only praised him for who he is, but what he does, his actions. Um, and so Daniel praised him for his works. And you could probably do the same exercise with, with God's works going through the alphabet or some other way to help us focus on praise. Um, and so Daniel, uh, his prayers informed by the scripture. And second... His prayer begins with praise. He adores God, he worships God for who he is and what he has done. And then he gets to the heart of the prayer. And then this particular prayer is a prayer of confession. A prayer of confession of sin. Because he knows from the scripture that when people own their sin, when people confess, they humble themselves and come before God. He is merciful and compassionate and forgive. But there's a prerequisite, there must be confession and repentance and so Daniel does that and that's the heart of the prayer verses 5 through 14 we see the prayer of confession he acknowledges the sin of his people and also notice Daniel identifies with his people when he is praying for the nation he does not say they those people we us and, you know, Daniel wasn't even alive for a thousand years of the rebellion. You know, I mean, he was, he's 80 years old when this is happening, probably, or close to 80. Uh, but, you know, through all that history, Daniel wasn't alive. You know, he could have very easily said, oh, you know, that nasty Ahab and uh, Manasseh and all those, all those dirtbags. No, he's we. He, he is identifying with God's people. Um, he is... Uh, he is uh, including himself in this um and and even daniel you know one thing that we've read about in in the book of daniel is that daniel is very careful to obey the lord he's always been very careful to observe the law when he was taken captive and offered delicacies from the king's table that weren't kosher that were that violated the dietary restrictions you know he refused that he was careful to pray to the lord and and so he was he was very careful to observe the law. And in fact, and, and y'all may help me, but I don't, think, I don't think there's a recorded sin of Daniel in the Bible. There may be, and I've missed it, but uh, um, I don't think we have a recorded sin of Daniel. But we do know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But a lot of times the scripture does tell us about the sin of some of the heroes of our faith. You know, he's very honest about Moses and his sin and Abraham and Isaac and David and uh, Peter you know, we, 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 we read about the sin of people, but Daniel is one that, uh, 
I don't think we have a recorded sin, but we do know that he is a sinner like all. But, you know, and only a a short time ago, Daniel disobeyed the law of Darius that people should pray to no other God or, or human being other than King Darius. He chose to obey God, chose to disobey the king, even though he knew that the penalty was death. But when Daniel prays this prayer of confession, he is not looking at other people and calling out their sin. He is including himself. He's identifying himself as part of the people of God. And he uses the term we and us uh, all, through, all through the book. Um, and he is uh, uh, identifying with his people and he is also a sinner because there's none righteous, not even one. And he, used, he also uses, in this prayer of confession, he uses about every word for sin that you can think of. <laughs> you know, he's, he's being inclusive. We have sinned, verse 5. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled. And so we've sinned, we've missed the mark. We haven't done those things that we should be doing. And we've also done a bunch of things that we shouldn't do. We've committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. We have rebelled by departing from your precepts and judgments. And so he's honest and he's inclusive. We, he, he, uh, he is emphasizing, uh, uh, you know, the depth of their sin. We've not done what we should do. We have done what we should not have. God loved Israel, called her to himself. God loved us. He called us to himself. He's entered into a covenant with us and gave us his law, but we disobey his command. And notice, Daniel, we're guilty. There's no excuse. There's no blame. We're guilty. There's no no explanation. He, He owns the sin. They know that there's no one to blame but themselves. So they sinned. They did what they should not do, and they did not do what they should have done. And then second, verse 6, neither have we heeded your, your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. So not only did we, you know, you love us, call us to yourself, give us your law, tell us what we ought to do. We didn't do it. Well, then you sent the and instead of just wiping us out, you sent the prophets to warn us. You sent them to warn us, to reiterate your law, to remind us of your law, and to call us to repent and believe your law. And we ignored the prophets. You were gracious. You were kind. You sent them to warn us. You were not silent when they disobeyed, or you did not just respond with immediate fury and wrath. No, you sent warning to us through the prophets. And we ignored them. And so Daniel bases his prayer on the scripture. He begins with adoration and he confesses the sins of the people. And he also acknowledges that God is right and God is righteous in the things that have happened to them. That they are getting what they deserve and God is righteous. He does not express anger toward God. He does not blame God. No, God is righteous in what he is doing. Verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. 
And he's going to weave this through the confession. You know, righteousness belongs to you, but to us is shame of face. We are guilty. It's all our fault. We are not, you are not to blame. You are doing what is right. You, enter, you gave us the covenant, and you told us what would happen if we disobeyed you. We disobeyed you. You sent the prophets to warn us and tell us what would happen if we disobeyed you. We still disobeyed, so you are right and just in sending us into exile, and uh, we are the ones who are guilty and full of shame. The shame belongs to us, but you are righteous. Verse 8 again. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face. But verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Though he have dwelled, we have sinned against him, we have rebelled against him. And then he goes back to confession. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in the laws which he set before us by his servants and prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against him. Again, he's righteous. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing us a great disaster for under the whole heaven, such as never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. And so again, God is righteous. We are guilty. Shame belongs to us. There's no blame to God. There's no anger to God. God is doing exactly like he said. He is righteous and just in sending us this punishment. And then he goes on to verse 13, and back to talking about Leviticus. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind. And brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And so, he owns it. He confesses it, and he declares God to be righteous, to be acting exactly the way he said he would act. And his people alone are to blame. They are the ones who are guilty and shameful. And so Daniel acknowledges God's righteousness and judgment. And that leads to a plea for mercy. God is giving them what they deserve, but he's asking them to give what they do not deserve. They do not deserve mercy. By, by definition, you can't deserve mercy. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. And so he pleads for mercy. Mercy and forgiveness belong to the Lord. And he asks the Lord for mercy to turn his face upon them, to hear their cries, to hear their supplication, to cause his face to shine upon them, not because they deserve it, but because God is merciful and forgiveness. So he pleads for mercy. And the motivation, why? The, the why, the motivation at the end of this prayer is for God's glory. Yeah, they want to return to the land. They want to be prosperous. They want things to go to them. But ultimately, the motivation is the glory of God. 
And he, and he goes on in verse 15. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name. You brought us out of Egypt and you made yourself a name as it is this day, but we have sinned and done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, your people, and your people are a reproach to those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear to hear. Open your eyes. See our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay. For your own sake, my God. For your city, for your people, which are called by your name. And so the motivation is God's glory, his name, his reputation. God delivered them from Egypt and made himself a name, but now they have become a reproach because of their sin and their wickedness. But God, for your sake, for your, for your name, show mercy upon your people and restore them to the land for your sake, for your glory. And so the prayer is not that he would feel better, that he would be happy that things would go well for him. No, the prayer is for God's name to be honored and God's name to be exalted and his glory to be revealed. And so that's the motivation for the prayer for his glory. The people had sinned against the great God that had brought them out of Egypt, that had brought them out of their slavery, that had delivered them from their bondage and brought them out of Egypt for his own glory for his own name, and their disobedience caused them to be a reproach and caused them shame. And that reflected negatively upon the name of the Lord. But Daniel's asking, show your people mercy for your sake and for your name. Hear us for your sake. For your sake, cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary, your holy place. Look again upon the city that you've chosen for your name. It's not because of our righteous deeds, because there are none, but your great mercy. We are asking for what we do not deserve, and we are asking for your glory. And so that's uh, the motivation. And, uh, you know, as we've gone through the book of Daniel, we have seen the rock-solid commitment to the sovereignty of God. You know, Daniel's faith and confidence in God's sovereignty, even in exile, Daniel has repeatedly reminded the people that God is in control. He's in control of the empire that has taken them captive. He is in control of the rulers who lead the empire. Nebuchadnezzar himself lost his mind and was out and living uh, with the wild beast. Uh, power was taken from him. It was restored all because of God's sovereignty. He raises up kings. He uses them for his purpose. He takes them down. And he is still providing for and protecting his people even in a foreign land. As they are, are, are thrown into the fiery furnace, he is there with them. As Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, God closes the mouth of the lions. God is faithful. God is sovereign even in a foreign land. 
You know, and uh, there are people who will say, well, if God is sovereign, why, why should we pray? If God is going to do what God is going to do, no matter what, what difference does it make if we pray? If his plans and purposes are going to be carried out, why pray? Why ask him to do something? If he's sovereign, he's going to do what he wants to do. Uh, and some people say that, uh, uh, you know, if he, if he changes times and season, removes and sets up king, what, what, what difference can it possibly make if we pray? But for Daniel, confidence in the sovereignty of God is not a deterrent to her prayer, but a motivation to pray. If God is sovereign and he commands us to pray, we ought to pray. <laughs> and, it, and somehow in the mind of God, it makes a difference. And so Daniel is motivated to pray because of God's sovereignty, and he's motivated to pray in accordance with God's word because that is how God has revealed that he will be pleased to hear and answer the prayers of his people. And so Daniel is motivated to pray because he believes in God's sovereignty. And that's the reason we can be confident in praying. Daniel comes before the sovereign God of the universe, confident in what God has revealed about himself and his word, his attributes, his characteristics, his actions, his conditions. And he knows that God is merciful and forgiving and that he reconciles sinners to himself. And he knows that God has said people have to confess and own their sin and when they do they're restored to the land and so Daniel is motivated by God's sovereignty to pray he knows that God is gracious and worthy of our trust the other thing we notice about Daniel is he does not let his circumstances cause him to doubt God's power or God's goodness Daniel could look at his circumstances here we are in a in a in a foreign land we've been here for six and a half decades and uh, now the Babylonian army is gone but we're still here we're still captive things are bad uh, the kings are passing horrible laws that we have to disobey and we might get executed thrown into the lion's den thrown into the fiery furnace but Daniel doesn't look at his circumstances but at the truth revealed in the word of God what God had revealed about himself prepared Daniel for decades in a foreign and hostile land. And we can prepare ourselves for hard times by learning and believing the truths that God has revealed to us in his word. What God has said should shape what we believe and how we view our circumstances and how we talk to God about our circumstances instead of letting our circumstances shape our conviction. And so if God is sovereign... We should pray. We have access to the ruler of the universe, the one who changes times and seasons, the one who removes kings and raises up kings. And if he invites you to talk to him, uh, we ought to pray. We have access to him. And if God sovereignly grants grace and mercy, we should pray. We should confess our sins, forsake our sins, and seek God's mercy. And if God keeps his promises to both judge and to save, we should pray. He is worthy of our trust. And like Daniel, our prayers should be informed by the word of God, based upon the word of God. So the prerequisite to basing your prayers on the word of God is to know the word of God, <laughs> to study the word of God, to hear the word of God preached, to sit under the teaching of the word of God, and to personally study the word of God. And so uh, uh, 
we need to devote ourselves to the study of God's word with the hope that it will shape what we believe about God and how we talk to him. We should devote ourselves to the study of God's word with the hope that it will shape how we view the things that happen to us in our life and how we respond to them. And some others could say, well, you know, that's an Old Testament prayer. Uh, that was fine in the Old Covenant, but we're New Covenant Christians. We're New Covenant believers. We live on this side of the cross. Uh, but, you know, the same principles apply. For us, New Testament believers, we have the right and privilege of praying. And we also have the right and privilege of praying in Jesus' name. The last night of Jesus' earthly life, Jesus told his followers in John 14, 13 and 14, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. And what is the motivation? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. What's the motivation for our prayer? That the Father will be glorified. What's the motivation Jesus answered in prayers we ask in his name? That the Father may be glorified. Same thing, same motivation. For his sake, for his name. And he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so the same, the same principle, praying in Jesus' name means praying with his authority, based upon his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his powerful and glorious resurrection. We don't pray because of our righteous deeds, because there are none. But we pray in the name of Jesus because he did have the righteous deeds. Jesus died on the cross so that we might have forgiveness of sins, so that God's justice and his mercy could be satisfied in the cross as he judged our sins when he poured out his wrath upon Jesus. And then the righteousness of Christ could be credited to us. And so praying in Jesus' name means praying based upon his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his powerful and glorious resurrection. And praying in Jesus' name means the same thing as praying according to the will of God. John, who recorded that promise of Jesus in John 14, years later in 1 John, writes, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That anything we ask according to his will he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked him. And so praying in Jesus' name means that praying, we are praying for things that will honor, honor and glorify Jesus and advance his kingdom. We're praying in accordance with his will. And also, confession of sin is always glorifying to God because it is a demonstration of, of his mercy and grace. When we confess our sins, we are acknowledging our desperation, our need for him, our unworthiness, our dependence, and our trust upon his finished work on the cross on our behalf. When we confess our sins, we're acknowledging our helplessness, our hopelessness, our need for him, and, and acknowledging that mercy and forgiveness belong to him and he is righteous in judging sin, but he is also merciful and forgiving. And when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the first half of Daniel chapter 19, Daniel chapter 9 is a, a good instruction on prayer. Daniel's prayers 
based upon the Word of God. He begins his prayer with praise. He confesses his sins and the sins of his people. He acknowledges God's righteousness and he asks for mercy. And the motivation of his prayer is for the glory of God, that God would be glorified, that his kingdom would come, his kingdom would be advanced. And then Jesus tells us the same thing. What we ask in his name he will do so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. And so a good, uh, good primer on prayer in Daniel chapter 9. Any questions or comments about, uh, about this, uh, this passage? All right. Well, next week we will see that while he was speaking and confessing his sin... Um, the man Gabriel will appear to him and speak to him and give him an answer. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but we have to wait a week for that. All right, any, any thoughts or questions? All right, let's pray to you. Lord God, we pause just for a moment to give you praise for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are great and awesome infinitely glorious, majestic, beautiful. And Lord, we thank you for who you are. We praise you for who you are. And Lord, we praise you for your works, that you are faithful, and that you loved us so much that you sent your son. And you gave him the punishment that we deserve so that we might have forgiveness and mercy. We praise you because you are a rescuing, redeeming God, that mercy and forgiveness belong to you. And we thank you for your power displayed in raising him from the dead. And Lord, we confess that so often we, uh, we are motivated by our selfishness. And we want our prayers answered so that we will feel better, so that we'll be happy, so that circumstances will be better for us, so that life will be easier for us. And we, sometimes when things are going bad, we might blame you or be angry at you instead of taking responsibility, searching our hearts, owning our sin and confessing it before you, humbling ourselves, recognizing our unworthiness, our helplessness, our hopelessness, our need for you, our desperation. And so, Lord, we pray that you help us to remember that we are sinners and we deserve nothing from you but wrath. But it is your mercy and grace in Christ Jesus that gives us life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make us people of prayer and that we would model our prayers on the scriptures, and that we would seek your glory, your sake, your name, and that we would be motivated to live our lives the same way for your glory, so that we would bring no shame, no reproach upon you, your name. Lord, grant us that. Help us to do what we do for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. And for the son, for your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, Amen. All right, thank y'all so much.